Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. Many times we can fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but there is so much more to the purpose of Jesus for us to understand. Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at statements that Jesus himself said about his mission while he was here on earth. Our lives can be different because of Jesus. everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are. I want to take a moment and welcome you, especially if this is your first time. We'd love to know you're here, so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you would, uh, whatever platform you're using, click the link for our connection card, or you can simply text hello to the number on your screen. Say hello to us. We're going to say hello back to you, show you a little bit of hospitality. Well, hey, if you've been around here for the past few weeks and been worshiping with us, you know that we're in a series called Because of Jesus. Well, this series is actually one of the longest ones we've ever done. Today is part eight, and we will finally finish it up next week with part nine. The reason this series has been so long is simply because of the topic. It's about all of the things that should be different in our lives and in our world today because of Jesus, what he came to do, and how it impacts us. And the series is based upon statements that either Jesus made about himself or statements that the Bible makes about him. And today we're going to talk about one of the most exciting ones, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Come on, that's exciting, isn't it? That should get you fired up. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I want to, I want to give you an image in your mind that will help with this. I, I personally love movies that portray this great epic battle of good versus evil and, and things like Braveheart or Lord of the Rings. And, and the reason I love those kinds of movies is because it's not about a missile being launched from hundreds of miles away, but it's about getting up close and personal in the fight. And you see, I mean, we're talking about sword fights and you always see this, this small underdog kind of a representation of good against this big, bad, evil force or tyrannical government or something like that. And I just love this idea of good versus evil and the underdog always winning. So that's the kind of image that I want you to have in your head today as we talk about Jesus destroying the works of the devil. Matter of fact, I want you just to go ahead with me and let's imagine ourselves as in one of these movie scenes. I want you to, uh, if you could with me, for those of you that have seen it, kind of imagine a Lord of the Rings movie scene. And the reason I think that one is, is so perfect for this is if you have seen the movie, uh, there's this evil force of, of non-human beings called orcs, and they're just as ugly as can be. They're intent upon evil. They're made in the bowels of the earth. I mean, it just represents everything that I think of when I think of demons. I mean, these things are just ugly. And I want you to imagine one of those Lord of the Rings scenes where, you know, they're coming onto the battlefield, and they're ugly, and they're swarming everywhere, and we're there with our, our force of good and our swords, and we are going to destroy them. Matter of fact, the Bible says that's what's going to happen. The Bible tells us that God is going to crush Satan beneath 
our feet. And you may say, why is that? Well, think about it. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is going to crush the kingdom of darkness. Well, the Bible says Jesus is the head and we are the body. The church is the body. If we're the body, we're the feet. And that's why God is going to do through Jesus, through us, underneath our feet, destroying the works of the devil, crushing the enemy. That's powerful, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about life purpose in this series, but I can't think of anything better on a Monday morning. When you say, I don't want to go to bed, I don't want to go to work, I don't want to get out of bed, I don't want to do whatever, and you think, man, today, because of me and what God is going to do through my life, we are going to destroy the works of the devil. That'll give you purpose. I, I don't know about anything that could fire you up more than that. I want you to think with me for a moment about some of the hurt that you've seen in the world, some of the pain, some of the devastation maybe even things that you've experienced personally that you would attribute to the works of the devil. And I want you to just to, to think, don't you want to stop that? Don't you want to see all of that devastation and destruction and hurt come to an end? So come on, who's with me today? Who wants to destroy the works of the devil? I really wish this is one of those times we were not watching on a screen at home, but we were in the room together because I know some of you would be excited. There would be shouts, there would be cheers because we are here just like Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. So let me show you what the Bible says about how Jesus is going to do this. And uh, if you are following along on your, your Bible at home, we're in 1 John chapter 3, but for everybody, don't worry, it is going to be right there on the screen in front of you. And this is the statement that it makes about Jesus. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And let's just stop for a minute and make sure we understand why this is such a powerful statement. Because Jesus didn't say it himself, someone said it about him. So the question is, who said it about him? And it turns out it was a guy named John, and John was one of his disciples. Matter of fact, John was one of the inner circle of just three I don't know if you're familiar with how it goes, but Jesus had crowds of thousands that would gather around him. And, and those crowds would shrink as he would try to get away, and he would actually have just groups of his followers. We know that he had a group of 72 disciples. And then most of us, we think of the 12. We know he had 12 disciples that were with him almost all the time. But there were times when he wanted to get away and pray by himself, special moments, or times where he would go into a room to pray for someone for healing or to raise someone from the dead. And he only took three people with him. He had this inner circle of three that almost never left his side. One of those was John. Matter of fact, John was one of the three people with him at the transfiguration. John was the only one with him at the crucifixion. John even refers to himself in the Bible as the disciple Jesus loved, like, oh, I'm the favorite one. So this guy was close to Jesus. He was a key eyewitness for everything that Jesus did. So I think if he's going to make a summary statement about the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus, I think we can trust that. And so he ends this passage. We're going to go back in a minute. We're going to look at the whole passage. But he talks about what Jesus came to do. And he, he, he summarizes the whole passage with Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So that brings up a really good question. What are the works of the devil? Let, let's just think through a list in our heads together. I, I'm sure things would come to mind like death and hate and pride, jealousy, fear, Lust, greed, witchcraft, 
Man, this list could go on all day. We could just take the rest of the day and do nothing but make that list. So look, I want to actually suggest to us that we think about the works of the devil a little differently today. I know many of us came up with many things on that list, and, and I'd like to suggest to you that those aren't so much the works of the devil as they are the results of one primary work of the devil. I would actually like to say that those are just the labels that we put on the results of the primary work of the devil. I believe the devil has one primary work. Now, by the way, have you noticed I use the word primary a whole lot in the last few minutes? Well, actually, I'm going to use the word primary a whole lot as we talk today because what I want us to understand as we attempt to destroy the works of the devil is that he has one core thing he is trying to accomplish. And if we can understand that one thing, it will be so much simpler to tear down what he is out to do. And so what is this one primary work that I believe the devil is trying to do? Rebellion. His one primary work is rebellion. So I'm going to give you a little bit of heavenly history here. Satan used to actually be one of the angels in heaven. In the beginning, he had a, a great position. He was actually one of three chief archangels who ruled in heaven. He had a, a third of the angelic hosts that were under his command. He had a great position. He was Everything that could have been, he was there with God, he was in heaven, everything should have been enough, but it wasn't. He wanted one thing he didn't have, and that was God's glory for himself. He wanted more, despite as good as it was, he wanted his ways instead of God's ways. As a result, he rebelled against God. And when he rebelled against God, he was removed from heaven. And I want you to understand that at that moment, it became his eternal purpose for uh, the rest of eternity as we would know it, and that is to lead other people along with him, and that is to take the rest of creation on the path he's on. Because see, once you make a mistake and you go down a road and you figure out that, that you're alone there, the best thing you can do is get other people to join your misery. And so ever since then, Satan has had one very simple mission statement. And that is to get the rest of creation to rebel against God. I want you to imagine if you could, and I'm going to be a little facetious here, a little bit funny because this is not how it really goes. But imagine that Satan has like a corporate headquarters. He has like an office building he shows up to work in every day. If he did, there would be a mission statement on the wall. And the mission statement would be to lead creation in rebellion against God. That's all he's trying to accomplish. And every one of the little demons that shows up would be wearing a corporate t-shirt to lead creation in rebellion against God. Because he has screwed up and he's alone, right? Look, when you make a mistake and you're not willing to admit it or acknowledge it, all you can do is double down that you are right. You are on the path you want to be on. Well, based on everything we know in Scripture, Satan never said, uh-oh, Satan never said, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. He just kept doubling down. God should have given me that glory. That should be my position. I should be as great as God. I should be able to have whatever. So if God does it like that, I'm going to go and do it my way. He just kept rebelling and kept rebelling and kept rebelling. And you kind of give you a, a practical illustration of how sometimes we see people make a really poor decision and they just double down on it. Uh, my wife was out one night and so I came home. It was my job to, to cook dinner for the kids. And so I, I cooked dinner. We sit down, we eat. And when dinner was over, I told my kids, all right, I cooked you clean. 
And at this moment, one of my sons had this idea to say, well, you made the mess. You should clean it. Now, at this moment, I'm thinking, well, you know, okay, I'll have grace on you. You are in middle school, and you're probably just trying to be funny. So we, we kind of just laughed that off, and I said, ha-ha, get busy. And he said, no, you made the mess. You should clean it. And, and so right now, funny is turning into foolish. And, and I, I, I had to go on a little bit of a, a, an exploration of just how seriously he believed this, because it looked like he just kept doubling down instead of going, okay, okay, I was just kidding. And, and I said, wait a minute, you, you think because I went to the store and bought the food, and I bring the food home, and I cook the food for you, that I should also clean up for you? He said, yes, because you made the mess. Well, since he just kept doubling down and never acknowledged he was wrong, uh, the rest of that night didn't go so well for him. And it's just kind of like Satan. Things haven't gone so well for him, and so he just wants the rest of us with him, is to get us to rebel against our Creator. Now, here's the problem. He has a problem, and that is creation is good. Creation is really good, and creation knows it. Matter of fact, at this point in time, for you and I, this is just the third book of the Bible, or third chapter, I'm sorry, the third chapter of the first book of the Bible. It's Genesis 3, way back at the beginning. At this point in human history, there are only two humans on the earth, Adam and Eve, and they were made just for each other. You know, sometimes we all have to, like, we have to date or meet people, ask lots of questions, have lots of conversations. We're trying to figure out, is this the right one for me? They didn't have to do that. They were made just for each other. They were the only two there. They were created by God, and they never had cheeseburgers and french fries. They were beautiful people. They lived in a beautiful garden that God made just for them. Think about that. If God made a garden on the earth just for you, the Bible even tells us God would walk in this garden in the cool of the day. They had fellowship with him. Everything was amazing. Creation was good. If Satan showed up and said, hey, I want you guys to join me and rebel against God and come on over here with my misery, they would have said, no, you're crazy. Why would I want to do that? So in order to carry out his primary work of rebellion, he had to get them to believe something that wasn't true. As long as they were looking at what was around them and what was true, there's no way they were going to rebel. So in order to have a primary work of rebellion, he had to have a primary strategy of deception. He had to make them believe something that simply wasn't true. The Bible tells us that's exactly what happened. Satan deceived Eve. It's such a key word because he came to her and he told her things that were absolutely not true. He said, what? You, you, you mean God said you couldn't do what? Come on, girl. Look, he just is, is trying to keep you down. He is just trying to, to make sure you aren't as great as him. Matter of fact, here's what's going to happen. If you do that, you just, you're going to be as great as him. You're going to be just like him. He just doesn't want you to have your greatness. He's just not really a very good God. And she thought about it, and she believed some of it, and she was deceived. You see, his primary work of rebellion is based upon a primary strategy of deception. We have to believe something that's not true. It is the only way that you can get creation to rebel against a loving creator is if it believes something that isn't true. I want you to imagine with me a, a very practical illustration of like a, a newborn baby with its mother. 
But when a newborn baby is hungry, it cries. The mother creator picks it up, feeds it, and the baby's happy. If the baby just wants to be held, it cries, and the mother creator picks it up, and it's happy. If the baby's cold, it cries, and the mother picks it up, wraps it up in a blanket, and it's happy. And this is what it's like when creation has a relationship with a loving creator. But unfortunately, at some point, that baby's going to grow up, and somebody's going to say something that's not true. It might go like this. Maybe they're in middle school, maybe they're in high school, and the child's going to want to do something on Friday night with their friends. The mom knows this is not a good idea and says, you can't. And one of the friends is going to kind of do what Satan did with Eve and say, what? Your mother won't let you do that. Your mother's not good. Your mother's not nice. My mother lets me do that. She wants the best for me. Your mother's just mean. And the the little baby that's now grown up starts to think, that's right. My mother just doesn't want that good for me. And creation begins to believe something that's not true. And look, just so you know, since we're talking about Lord of the Rings as kind of an illustration today, uh, there is one lie to rule them all. There is one lie that stands above everything else. Because if, if he can get creation to believe this one lie, everything else will be so easy. He's got a primary work of rebellion, and he uses a primary strategy of deception. And that's based upon one lie to rule them all. God isn't good. It's his primary lie. God isn't good. So he has a primary work of rebellion, a primary strategy of deception, and a primary lie, God isn't good. The question for you and me today is, what does this have to do with us? Jesus is the one that came to destroy the works of the devil. What does all this have to do with me today? And that's kind of a fair question because, well, the truth is, there are things that Jesus did as God in the flesh that only he came to do. And some people may say, wait a minute, isn't this all about Jesus coming and beating up the devil and winning the war and and everything, and and we just get to watch? Is this really something that applies to me? And and, it's a fair question because, after all, Jesus came to die on the cross in our place. We don't die on the cross. And so it's it's a fair question. And the answer is yes, it has something to do with us couple of reasons. Number one, uh, we've already talked about how God is going to crush Satan beneath our feet. Because yes, Jesus came to do it, but he does it through his body, his church on the earth. We also know that Jesus told us, look, you're going to do greater works than what I do. Greater works than me. But I want to make sure we understand something. A lot of people think that this is all about what is going on out there. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We either think it's something that happened in the past or it's something that's going on out there. When I mentioned the topic today of we're going to talk about Jesus destroying the works of the devil and we're going to be part of that, I think I had a lot of people who got really excited. Spiritual warfare came to mind. And you were like, yes, we're going to get together and have all night prayer and worship sessions. And we're going to call down the principalities that are doing evil in the world. And we're going to go prayer walking in neighborhoods. And we're going to call down the evil forces that rule over those neighborhoods. And we're going to destroy the devil. Ah, And people were just shouting and get excited about going out there and taking the fight out there. But I want you to understand The primary fight isn't out there. It's right here. Because if the primary work of the devil is to get each one of us, each person in God's creation to rebel, then the answer is for each one of us to obey God. 
to understand that there is a, a truth. There's a truth, and well, the truth actually is what God has given to us, and this has to rule our lives. Matter of fact, as a pastor, a lot of times I find myself in a situation where people have come to me, and they've kind of gotten themselves in a little bit of trouble, or they've made a, a bit of a mess out of their lives, and they, they come and they want some biblical advice on how to fix it, how to make it right, how to remove the pain, how to remove the trouble. And as we talk through some of the things they're doing, obviously it's going to require making a change if you want different results. And as we talk about that, I'll say something, and they'll say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says, but. And I'll say, well, let's think about this. And they'll say, well, I know God wouldn't want, but. And it turns out that we're really good as humans at rationalizing the things we do that we know don't line up with God's ways. And so I've come up with a question over the years. I'm just going to kind of go ahead and ruin it for some of you who might come to my office later someday. Uh, but I like to ask people a question at that moment when they're really uh, just going on with, well, I know, but, well, yes, but. I like to say, hey, wait a minute. Let's just change the subject for a second. I want to ask you a question. How does a person know when they're deceived? And I'll sit and they'll think about it for a minute. How does a person know when they're deceived? And I've had a few people try to come up with some really great philosophical answer. Most people just sit and say, I don't have an answer. I've had a few that came up with the right answer, and that is, they don't. They don't know when they're deceived. No one has ever known they were deceived and continued being deceived, right? I mean, think about it, the very logic of that statement, hey, I know that what I believe as true is not true, but it's a lie, but I'm going to keep believing it is true. No one's ever going to make that statement. The only way that someone is going to continue to say, I believe this, is because they do believe it. And if they do believe it, then they may not know that it's not true. We are not a good judge of when we have fallen into Satan's primary strategy. Matter of fact, I look back at my own life sometimes and you know, we always can tell when we've been deceived. That's a little easier because we find ourselves saying this. We've all asked ourselves this question more times than we can count. Man, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And that, that one question is a great sign that at some point we were deceived. And I, I've done some stupid things. I've done some uh, things that, that wouldn't uh, make God happy with my life and my past. And I look back now and I go, what was I thinking? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts, because I actually took time to answer that question. And, and one of the times I, I know that I was, I was thinking, well, God loves me so much, it'll be okay. And, and a lot of us, we know that the Bible says God is love, and we believe because God's love sent Jesus to die on the cross, that his love will just overlook everything. And he would never correct, he would never stop, or he'd never get involved in this process, and that, that I'm wanting to do it my way. But actually, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. The most loving thing that you can do when your child is on a path of pain is to correct them. And I thought God just loves me too much. Well, God does love me. God is also a God of justice and a God of grace. And so there were times where God stepped in and said, no, no, no. And the process was not what I wanted it to be and even made me challenge God a little bit. Man, I bet the devil was just going, look at that. My strategy worked. I've heard people answer the question, what was I thinking with something like, well, yeah, I, God doesn't care about that. That's just a little old thing. God doesn't care about that. It's not a big deal. God doesn't care if I do that. It's a small, tiny thing. Look, I'm, I'm going to tell you today, there's no small, tiny thing. 
There's nothing. The Bible tells us that God cares about the blades of the grass and sustains their life. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. God cares about the smallest detail of your life. He sits sovereignly upon his throne for your good. Don't be deceived. God cares. Don't be deceived. Yes, God loves you, and in that love, he wants you to not rebel. The simple answer is to not rebel, obey God. And wow, I just said a really bad word, didn't I? Look, I've got friends who would preach that would say, Jimmy, you know, you don't say obey. Nobody wants to hear obey. You get up, you preach about the love of God. People love it. They come back next week, they bring their friends. You get up, you talk about the blessings of God. People love it. They come back next week, they bring their friends. You get up and tell them to obey God. They're never coming back. And so, look, I know it's not a a fun thing to talk about. I know it's not what you want to hear. No one ever wants to hear it. But it's the truth. If the primary work of the devil is to go against God, then the primary solution is to go with God, to do what God wants in our lives, to obey God. And here's the reason that that is so important. Because if a person never knows when they're deceived, then the most important thing you and I need is truth outside of us. We need a standard of truth that is outside of ourselves. And this is what God has given us. He has given us his revelation of himself and his expectation for us. And when we say, this is my rule of life, no questions asked, then there's no rebellion. When we say, this is my rule of life, whatever it says is my truth, then the devil has no deception to offer you. Nothing works when this is your rule of life outside of everything the devil is trying to do. So look, in the few minutes we have left, let's go back to the passage. I told you earlier that that was the summary statement, the culminating statement. So, so let's go back real quickly and look at the rest of that and understand what is Jesus doing that ends up with, because of this, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Starting in verse 1, He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So see, we are going to talk about the love of God, and it is a great thing. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And because of that, we are called children of God. And because we're called children of God, everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is simply the natural reaction that we should have because we're children of God. We're in the family of God, and in the family of God, the natural thing to do is to want to be more like God, to live according to his ways, to follow him. You know, look, we have a thing in our family that I've just decided this one of my little mantras that I'll, I'll, I'll give to my kids sometimes, and it is, in this family, I just want them to understand sometimes, every family's not the same. And so sometimes when, when my kids start getting into the, the kid fighting mode, and I'd love to tell you that that never happens, but it's a lie because I've got four kids and three of them are very close to each other in age and, uh, and they're young. And so we get to those, those petty little arguments. Well, he took my seat. Well, she did this. Well, I wanted that blanket. I don't want popcorn. I didn't want salt on my popcorn. And it just drives me crazy. And, and they get into these little fights. And, you know, sometimes you try to mediate the fights. Well, you sit here, you do that. We can make two bags of popcorn. It's not that big of a deal. But there are times where I don't even care about mediating the details because I just want to go to the bottom line. And I just want to, to grab one of them and look them in the eye. And Well, uh, one of them is a very fast grower, so that means I need a stool uh, to step up on. Uh, but the others, it means I'm going to get down on a knee and I'm going to look them in the eye and just say, we don't treat each other that way in this family. 
Look, there's enough meanness out in the world. In this family, we will be kind to each other. We will share. We can all fit on the couch together because in this family, we love each other. And I just want them to understand that in our family, there are just things that are that way. And so when we're in the family of God, we want to be more like God. And he goes on to say, so you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. So wait a minute, this is the same person saying, and in the same passage that he's going to say, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, but you just said he came to take away sins. Are you confused? No, he's not confused. What he's saying is what we said earlier. Sin is just the labels for the rebellion against God. Sin is just the labels, the description of what we have done to choose our ways over God's ways. And this is really important for us to hear because a lot of people only understand half of what this sentence means, that Jesus came to take away sins. We go, oh, thank God I'm forgiven. And that is half of it, and that is so important. He did come to take away our sins. We are forgiven for our sins yesterday, today, tomorrow. Praise God. Thank you. Jesus' death on the cross means I will not have to pay for my own sins with my death, but I can be forgiven and have eternity with God. It's the most amazing free gift ever. We call it salvation. It's incredible. But there's another half to what he means by that. Not only has he removed the stain of the sins that we commit, he's also given us power over sin, meaning that every day we can wake up and actually have a choice to rule over sin, to reject rebellion, and to obey God. Which is why he kept going and said, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Little children, let no one deceive you. Why would you warn, let no one deceive you? Well, because John has figured out exactly what we've been talking about all day, and that is that the primary strategy of the devil is to deceive you into believing something that's not true. And he says that in between these statements about don't keep sinning, let no one continue sinning who follows him. And I believe that there is a key deception that I've seen in the church today as a pastor, one thing that sneaks in, because we all know we're sinners, We all know that we're not perfect. There's not a person I know that would say, tomorrow I will be perfect. Tomorrow I will be sinless. Tomorrow I will be exact copy of Jesus. Just like I'll be exactly like Jesus. I'll be an exact copy. No one dares to say that. We know that we're going to wake up tomorrow and at some point we're going to make a mistake. We're going to have a bad attitude or we're going to have a a bad thought or we're going to have something happen, a reaction or whatever that is going to be a label for rebellion against God. We all know it's going to happen. And so the deception that we've fallen into is, well, man, if I can't be sinless and if I'm already forgiven, then why worry about it? I'm just going to enjoy life and make the most of it. I'm forgiven. It's all good. I can't be perfect anyway. I know the Bible says, if you're like him, be pure because you should try to be pure like him. He's pure. But come on, I can't do it, so why try? If we could go back to Lord of the Rings, there's a a perfect illustration in this. And I'll just go and tell you, I'm going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. But that is not my fault. That's your fault because the movie's been out for over 10 years. And if you haven't watched it yet, you cannot blame me for spoiling it this morning. But in the third movie, there's a a final epic battle. It's an amazing battle uh, where the humans, again, representing good, are getting ready to go into battle against these evil, non-human, orc-like things. It's just they're ugly, and, and it's just, and they know they're outnumbered. And they're so outnumbered, it's not even hopeful. 
And so on the eve of battle in the camp, uh, they begin discussing, uh, we're, we're going to get defeated, aren't we? We're, we can't win, can we? And a couple of them actually had the courage to go and ask the king, hey, can we win? Can we defeat them? And if you've watched the movie for the first time, this is the moment where you're expecting one of these great inspirational speeches. Well, we're greatly outnumbered, but the forces of good will always triumph. I mean, you kind of expect that sort of speech, but they don't get that sort of speech. The sort of speech they get is, no, we cannot defeat them, but we will show up for battle nonetheless. And I think that that is the attitude we need to have towards sin. Nope, I won't be perfect today, (laughs) but I will show up and try anyway. Just because we're not going to be perfectly sinless does not mean we should be deceived to think it doesn't matter that we should try. We should try every day to be as much like Jesus as possible. And it all comes together with this final statement. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's it. All wrapped up, all coming together, all in context. Sin is just the label for the primary work of rebelling against God and his ways. Anytime we say, I'm going to do it my way, we end up with one of those words that are just labels for the primary work of rebellion. The answer is this, reject rebellion, obey God. Reject rebellion, obey God. How many of you want to destroy the works of the devil in your life at this point? How many of you are are tired of what he's done, the devastation that he's caused, the things that you see in the world around us, in our own lives? Who's who's ready for all of that to come to an end? Reject rebellion, obey God. Come on, that'd be a cool t-shirt, wouldn't it? I mean, like, I can just see all of this, this like graphic work and image on a t-shirt. Reject rebellion. Really cool. Like a black t-shirt and white writing or gray writing or something, you know, kind of got a little goth look to it there. Reject rebellion. Everybody would love that t-shirt. And and then you print it on the bottom. Obey God. I don't want that t-shirt anymore. We've already talked about this. I know we don't like that, but it's the answer, the simple answer to stopping the primary work of the devil of turning against God is when you and I say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. You're my creator. You know what's best for me. You know what's best for my life. And I want to make sure you did not miss the point today. This great, epic battle of good versus evil, the greatest one in all of history, all of human, no, not just human history, universal history, heavenly history, in all of history is not out there. It's in here. It's right here. Matter of fact, everything that we see out there is just a result of about 8 billion people on the earth in here doing it their own way. Because we all just want to do it our own ways sometimes. And I just, I want to challenge us right now to ask the question, how is the devil's works being carried out in my life? How is his strategy working? What lies am I believing? What is working in my life that I need to put an end to? And it's those words that we were using earlier. We've got labels for them. Maybe in your life, you're struggling with some moral choices. 
Maybe it's uh, something that you're doing with someone you know God would say no to. Maybe, maybe it's lying because it's just easier to get out of it by telling something that's not true and not facing up to the consequences of, of something you've done. Maybe it's choosing not to forgive. You know, here's something that's very important. Jesus says, look, you've been forgiven for more than you could ever count. So how can you not forgive someone for the one or two or three things they've done against you? Because you've been forgiven, forgive. It is simply God's way to forgive. The Bible doesn't say try to forgive. The Bible doesn't say forgive. When you feel like the Bible says forgive. And so when we get angry at someone because they've hurt our feelings, they've offended us, they've hurt us, they've done something to us, and we say, I'm not going to forgive, we are not destroying the works of the devil. We're continuing the works of the devil. We might even be multiplying the works of the devil. When we put these things in our lives and we just let them keep going, we say, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to keep doing it. We're not destroying the works of the devil. What is the label for you? Is it lust? If you're letting lust keep going, you're not destroying the works of the devil. You're continuing the works of the devil. Is it greed? Maybe greed is what you're fighting. Maybe fear. If I could, I just need to take a moment. I feel like I should take a moment and talk about fear because it seems to be one of the primary ways that I see the works of the devil winning right now in our world. And, and uh, I, I'm going to try to say this as kindly as I can because I know it's going to uh, step on a few toes, maybe hurt a few feelings. But I, I do believe my job as a pastor every now and then is to help say, hey, church, uh, we need to look in the mirror here. We need to talk about something. And one of the things that I've, I've seen during this COVID-19 crisis is for people who would say the devil uses fear to work in my life, you've been feeding the fear. I've seen a lot of people feeding this work so that it continues to grow more and more and more. I've actually had to counsel some marriages during this time. I've, I've had to work with some people who are, they're not only not leaving their home because of a stay-at-home order, uh, they're not even opening their doors because they're afraid of the killer hornets or the disease blowing through the wind or whatever else. And they've lost track that there is a good God on his throne. There is a sovereign God who has named himself El Shaddai, all-powerful, who says, My, I'm watching out for your good. I created you. I have your good. And, and he is there to protect us. And we have said, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe that everything out there is for my bad, and I need to hide under the bed. And some of us have fed our fear because we look at every headline. We can't wait to see the next newscast to find out how bad it really is. And again, I mean this with all grace that I can, but I, I, I just want to suggest to you, if we would tell someone whose struggle is with lust not to look at certain websites, if we would tell someone whose struggle is with alcohol not to go to a bar, then wouldn't it be wise for those of us whose struggle is with fear to spend more time finding answers of truth and less time watching headlines that continue the work of the devil in our lives. So look, whatever it is, and I hope that came off with grace, whatever the label is for the work of the devil in your life, every single one of us, what we need to do today is we need to name it. And, and I promise you there's more than one, but, but let's just pick one. Let's pick the one that's at the top of the list and let's say, you know what? No longer will I be deceived. No longer will I believe God isn't good. And I am going to put an end to the works of the devil. And it's going to start right here. 
Because if all eight billion of us would deal with what's going on right here, everything out there would be taken care of. This great epic battle isn't out there. It's right here. So I want to close today by praying for all of us. This is a tough, tough fight. We're humans. We've got things that are broken in our lives and destroying the works of the devil. We need the grace of God to come and work. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we are not left here at the hands of the enemy. We thank you that even though he's got a primary work he wants to do in our lives, you have given us power over that. We thank you that you have filled us with your spirit, that you dwell within us, that you have given us your word as truth so that we can recognize his schemes. God, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. And right now, God, I pray for every person hearing this, every person watching. I pray for whatever the work is that the enemy has tried to do, whatever the label is, if it is fear, if it is greed, if it is lying, whatever it has been that the, the devil has used most to lead them away from you. God, today I pray that by your spirit you will begin to dethrone those works, that you will begin to lead each of us closer to you and remove the power of sin in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, God. Let's just stay in a place of prayer. I want to talk to those of you that uh, you need to go to the very beginning. Maybe the reason that it's been so difficult for you to defeat the works of the devil is because you've yet to surrender to Jesus as your king. As I said earlier in the message, he died on the cross so that you would not pay for your sins. And he was risen from the dead by the power of the Father so that you would have power over your sin and eternal life. If you've never made that exchange with him, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, seated on a couch, kneeling on your, your living room floor, it doesn't matter. But say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I pray that you help me destroy the works of the devil in my life. I thank you that I'm loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Once again, thanks for worshiping with us today. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.